He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. Do you really want to jump? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Wait a minute. What the? He was ready to retire. Now, he's going to wish he had. Gun! Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? <laughs> If these guys can just stand each other... What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old-timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Don't kill anybody. Don't kill anybody. I'm too old for this. Are you as good as you say you are? Nobody can touch me. Suppose we better register you as a lethal weapon. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet. Okay, David, it's finally time. Your favorite time of the year officially has arrived. It's yeah. the holiday season here at Reconsinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that's right. It's the holiday season. David, how do you feel about that? Love it. Here we go. The best part. The best part. We've gotten through the worst holiday. Halloween. Ooh, the, ooh ouch. We, yeah, those are daggers. I thought, <laughs> I thought you I thought Arbor Day was your least favorite. Yeah, let it go. You know, trees are great. Okay. Yeah. I do Halloween, like a good tree. Halloween is a children's holiday. Uh <laughs> so it's four kids. Half our viewership just <laughs> deleted the podcast. No. I'm not dismissive of children. I think we have a plenty of children viewers. Uh, <laughs> Listeners, viewers. They're like, I, that's right. It's ours, old man. Get out of our holiday. <laughs> so this belongs to the kids. Uh, no, it's it's the holiday season. Uh, Christmas time. I'm a, I'm a, I come from a, a background that celebrates Christmas. Um, but of course, there's other holidays. So, of course, yeah. you know, it's it, so. But Christmas is my main main. That's what I'm down with. So. I go a little hog wild. It's uh, here around the studio. Um, I was, but I like to pick a new theme. So you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of spider claws. Uh, basically, Santa Claus that looks uh, dressed in a Spider-Man outfit. Like That's, so, uh, I'm just I, I'm I'm okay with that. I can do yeah. that. A lot of Spider-Man and Spider and Santa Claus hats. It's We're taking toy. Christmas to the Spider Verse. All right, I can mm-hmm. get into it. Yeah. So a lot of cross promotional branding happening here with Sony. Marvel, uh, Santa, yeah, Reconcinimation. So, North Pole Pictures. I get yeah. it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Sit on Spider Man's lap. Santa Cl- Spider Sp- Claus's Spider lap. Spider Claus. Spider Claus's lap. So it's it's kind of a know, mouthful. Spider Claus. Yeah, and I mean, it makes you think of spiders don't have claws, right? C L A W S. But it that's when you hear Spider Claus, you probably think claws. So it's a little scary. 
but we're I, we're trying to we're trying to take the power back from that. So we want to want to take the fear back. Take so, get ready. It's going to be a Spider Claus Christmas, and and I'm excited about that. You you know you did such a great job as we as we finished Thanksgiving season, mm-hmm. uh, and we we came out of Thanksgiving straight into Hanukkah and. Now, now heading towards Christmas, but uh, you did a great job of getting the Thanksgiving decorations down like immediately. All those handcrafted, uh, you know, uh, pieces of art, I would call it, that you decorated the studio a lot with that you you transitioned to the holiday season so fast. Yeah, I mean, well, you saw I got the I got five 20 foot dumpsters uh, aligned and not saving any of the decorations just tossing them out. You got to start fresh every year. Yeah. So yep. garbage, take it to a landfill. We're not recycling a thing. No, burn yep. it. Yeah. All the 3d, all the, all the 3d printed leaves, mm-hmm. all of that, gone. all that paint, the leaves, the and then, turkeys and that, that are still the, alive. We sent them back. The yeah, gobble I mean, knockers after oh, the, God. after the Turkey slaughter, we, we get, we get the, the survivors get to go back to their farms. So yeah, uh merry christmas everybody <laughs> let's get it going oh, god and with that yes we we're coming off with some great episodes we took a, a deep dive into tom hanks uh the early part of his career and uh from from the money pit to brent's uh you know leading the charge on joe versus the volcano and and then saving private ryan and yeah. now you know private ryan was such a heavy movie and a heavy episode that we need to <laughs> switch gears a little bit and get a little bit just a touch lighter here so uh lighten it up lighten it yeah. up war is hard and more movies you know, not as hard but not not hard. as hard this one a lot I of action this, i think this is a little bit of false advertising is this movie that we're about to jump into really lighthearted? Is it <laughs> this is really? fun and fun and easy breezy this uh this <laughs> sort of, of uh, dark stuff going on here you know what brent you're right and there there is a little bit of both in in this film and, and we'll get to it but this, of course a... we're uh we're talking about 1987's lethal weapon one of the top action movies of the 80s a debatable christmas movie which we'll talk about but um you know, we, we did mention earlier this year the passing of Richard Donner, and mm. we wanted to take a, you know, it, it happened, uh, I think, right before we recorded, and we didn't really prepare much. So uh, today we wanted to spend a little bit more time looking at one of his, his greatest films, one of his biggest films, and spend more time talking about him and his contributions and, and what an impact he had. So there's a whole lot going on in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Got a holiday debate. Got Richard Donner. You got uh, Mel Gibson. I think coming on the show for the first time, and you welcome him with open arms. <laughs> I know. Controversial to say the least. Welcome but, to the show, well, yeah. Mel Gibson. We're going to talk about 1987. Mel Gibson. There we go. And <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> that's fair. Um, yeah. So, Lethal Weapon. Uh, what? Uh, Brent, what was the first time you saw Lethal Weapon? Did you did you catch this in the theaters or home video? Uh, this was home video. Yeah, uh, this is one of the. I'm positive I saw this at home. It was it was kind of one of the first R-rated movies my parents let me see. I watched it with my dad in his. You know, we we used to watch. Uh, 
like if if we were watching movies that my brother who is younger than I could watch we would watch them in the family room if we were watching movies that were a little bit for an older audience we would watch them in his bedroom and so we were we definitely caught this one uh in in mom and dad's room uh with my brother uh probably off playing with baseball cards <laughs> gotcha yeah what, yeah. what about you, David? I, I saw this. I saw this. The funny thing is, I'll, I'll go on record to say, I honest to God, I, I thought I never I hadn't really seen this movie. Like, Ooh. like I, 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 I thought I did. But then I'm like, eh, I don't really remember a lot of it. I when, when rewatching this. I'm like, I've seen every fucking scene in this movie. I, so I've seen it. But I pro- so I must have seen it probably before 1989. Saw it on a rental. I don't know. Is it on TV? I, but like just kind of the one time, more or less. Uh, but at that age, even being, I would have been, let's say, nine or younger to have seen it. I would not have. I wouldn't have been into this that that much. I don't. It, it was. A, it's a little too much for. It's a little too intense in terms of subject matter what's going on it's very it's it take you know it's very adult in a lot of places in most places um so as a kid who'd be playing with my ninja turtle figures like i couldn't embrace and like i mean and i think it's very much a shane black thing maybe just every gun is just the loudest gun like like riggs's gun is awesome that, that the beretta that, yeah the beretta is just like <laughs> like holy shit and it's <laughs> I mean, and in terms of action sequences and stuff, like watching it, I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool. But at back then, I just, I, it would have been, it would have been too stimulating, just too much. And, uh, but I have no memory of, of, of it. So, um, but I've been, I've watched the sequels, uh, you know, more than a few times each, each of them. Um, probably not four all that much, maybe once or twice on four, but two and three, I saw a bunch of times. Um, because they yeah. were they were a little more streamlined, I think, for a more mm-hmm. broad audience, and they they um, weren't as dark, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially were, three. I mean, yeah. three is pretty pretty. It's light. just a romp. <laughs> like, it, get a lot of Joe Pesci, yeah, a lot of Pesci. Rene Russo. <laughs> Gotta love that. So yeah, yeah this one, uh, um, yeah, it, it, it would have been a like a one and done more or less for me, and then, uh, yeah, I forgot. All, I really just forgot all about it. Um, I, I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit just because I definitely saw this movie as a kid many, many times, but haven't seen it in decades. And I'm in rewatching it certainly felt like I was getting parts two and one, like there are certain elements oh, nice. that I'm getting mixed up and I'm thinking are in one of them and, and they're not. And uh, so it was it was almost like rewatching it for the first time. Everything felt familiar, but also out of order because there I, I certainly saw two similar to you, David, saw two way more than I saw this yeah. one. Um, but but yeah, I kept getting I was like waiting for scenes to happen. And I was like, oh, wait, that's the wrong movie. This is part two. This is not happening in this movie. Did yeah. you think Pesci was in this one? I didn't, I didn't, but I did think that the stilts house got pulled down in this one. And I was like, 
excited to talk about that because I know the guy who owns that house. Oh, really? And so uh. I was like, let's get into it. And it doesn't happen. That's part two. Like, it just isn't there. So we'll bring him into the studio for a, a live interview session uh, when we get to two. Yeah, we'll, we'll need to do that. Well, yeah. I, and I remember for two, like, I think MTV was promoting too heavy. And like, I, I, I'll never forget the the day they shot the stilts house or whatever they had behind the scenes and Mel Gibbons like hey let me show you something and he throws a rock at it at the house and then they show the footage of the house coming down and he's like yeah <laughs> like so it was it you know they do the seamless thing so That's it was a big awesome. joke and I'm like oh it's hilarious like Mel Gibbons is hilarious his movie's gonna be awesome like I you know so it, you know this the sequel was gonna hit big for the younger audiences like for sure like it was heavily promoted like yeah and i don't know how i don't know how it was at at your you guys house growing up but you know leading up to die hard seeing r-rated action movies was was like kind of a special event oh yeah after die hard though it was the floodgates were open my parents just were they they had succumbed and were like okay we're gonna you can now see R-rated action movies. We've we've decided it's fine, I guess. Well, that was yeah, that's, gonna... that's exactly my experience with this movie. Very very similar to yours. Is as uh, prior to Die Hard, my dad would. I remember like he was home certain days during the summer. Like he would have certain days during the week off, and I wouldn't go to camp. I'd stay home with him, and those were the days that. If I wanted to watch an R-rated movie or something that wasn't totally appropriate for kids, that was when it was going to happen. So, <laughs> like, I remember Caddyshack. Like, I watched really young there. The Jaws movies, like, all of them. <laughs> um, and RoboCop, Lethal Weapon. Yep. But that was, Lethal Weapon was, like, I fell in love with it. And I think I saw it, I probably saw it just after Die Hard came out because I saw it on on video. Mm-hmm. And it would have been, I think, you know, either late 87 or kind of somewhere in 88. But uh, I loved it. I mean, I this was like between this and Die Hard, these were like the action movies and Predator that like I would reenact them with my G.I. Joes and, you know, just like push it to even. So like the action's extreme in this. I would push it like even further with my imagination, you know, like Riggs was always on the brink of death always and then would just come back and shoot everybody so <laughs> he's the hero well, yeah well that and that's my like that's sort of like I, I i was already prompted to sort of ask this question but like what like we we all grew up different differently or whatever or maybe kind of similarly in different ways but like for me there wasn't like a a bond with my dad to like, Hey, I'm going to show you something super violent with like naked women and like whatever, just as a kid, like under 10, like that wasn't, my dad was not doing that shit. Like Mm -hmm. he just, but like, is it like a bonding experience like for you guys or is it like, yeah, yeah. For me, I seems weird, but I don't know. Like some things I feel like don't belong in that, that gap from a, like but that again the way i was raised right so like a father to a like a young kid like let's bond over this thing that you really can't even understand as a child right but as a kid were you so for me it was a bonding experience but it's a Mm -hmm. bonding experience because my dad 
took interest in it because he knew that I was interested in movies. Like I, I had been interested mm. in movies. I mean, from the get go. Right. So even though I was young at this, like I was always wanting to see movies and always wanting to, mm. to see stuff. And I was asking if I could see things that I wasn't old enough yet to see. And I was kind of pushing the, pushing the agenda there. And I think that he intentionally mm. showed interest in it so that we would have this thing to bond on because, you know, like I played baseball as a kid. I was not very good. He was a baseball player. My brother was a baseball player. They bonded over that. He would coach the team, but like we didn't have that same, mm. same thing. So there was, there was this thing that I was really into. And he was like, well, let's watch movies. Let's do this together. My mom was the same way. You know, she, she took me to, to all sorts of movies, but, but my dad, you know, we would do the double features. We would do the mm. kind of the adult uh, R rated movies I don't yeah. want anybody to get confused when I say adult. I mean, R-rated. <laughs> didn't, didn't go that, go that far. We didn't go that far. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was certainly a kind of a, a bonding uh, experience because my dad took initiative to, to do that because I was so into it. Whereas I don't, I don't know when you were growing up as oh, a child, like totally if you different. were really into movies, right? You know, I, I, I know wasn't. John and I were. So Right. So, and, and yeah. that's, so that's what it must be. It's like, it's not just entertainment it's like movies so you know the there's so many great there's so many movies right there's so many different movies to experience together that right. cross genre and uh and, and 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 you know decades and like culture and all that so seeing something from the seeing a war movie versus seeing a whatever seeing, seeing an action movie of the 80s like they're all in the same it's all in the same pot of it's a movie it doesn't doesn't necessarily matter what kind of movie in a sense like something you might be into but mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter like sort of the content right it's more it's about the movie experience rather than let's watch this like violent titillating movie <laughs> like, yeah absolutely i mean as okay. a kid i remember i we've talked about it a little bit in the past but i you know there were there were like eight vhs films that i remember as a kid that we had and we owned it was it was star wars mm. uh it was uh uh arthur up in smoke um the the muppet movie nice um it was 10 uh it was uh air airplane mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and then there's a couple others that were not ones that for whatever reason, it was like, what was on golden pond was another one. Wow. Oh, wow. And okay. so there were, there were like these, these 10 movies that I just always remember us having like from, from existence. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and so I always, I would get into those and I would watch them. Some of them, were fine. Some of them, my parents would be like, no, you can't watch that one. But I was always curious. And then, um, you know, like it just kept kind of growing from there. And then it was like, I would go to video, you know, at that time you go to a grocery store at when you're, when you're younger and there's a video store in the grocery store. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. my parents would go shopping and I would be in the video store portion the entire time just like looking at the movies looking at different stuff and and so uh it was pretty apparent that i was like super interested in 
in films and and the storytelling and it didn't matter really what it was my mom liked horror movies so we would watch kind of the scarier stuff Salem's Lot or you know or or whatever you know it might be um and my dad was not into that he didn't like <laughs> scary movies at all but he was like I'll watch yeah. action movies with you um and so you know that just kind of became our thing and 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 that, you know we would see other things together I mean we saw Mannequin at the theater. We saw, you know, I mean, we used to excellent do double, choice. Yeah, we used to do double features all the time, and um, but it was, yeah, you know, again, you showed interest as a kid, and and I think you, my parents were always looking for a way to kind of connect. So yeah, so yeah. that's uh, that's how we ended up there. That's that's the same with with my family's. My family, uh, we're not the best communicators in the world, so a lot of the passage of time was done by going to the movies. I went with, with my grandma, saw a, a lot of movies that was, I was probably too young for, but went anyway. Uh, and then with my dad, it was just renting the movies, you know, Friday night, bring movies home for the weekend and, um, you know, or just watching them when he was available. But instead of like sitting and talking, you know, we just sit and watch a movie together. So this was Lethal Weapon was the first movie that he let me see completely without without my mother's permission. Like she had said, do not let him watch Lethal Weapon and Robocop. And that was like the next <laughs> movies we watched. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's no funny. problem, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Have a nice day at work. Johnny, get over here. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, like growing up, I think that's the difference of like, you know, my the consumption of things it's 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 just that that entertain it's a little more broad based like entertainment like so you know if you have some time off and like oh watch a movie tonight or whatever but it wasn't like i mean we go to the and once rental stores became a thing like yeah we would go to the rental store every weekend like um to grab a movie and what was something. your local video store called do you remember uh, uh electric city video oh great and name then, um oh hell yeah and then uh we didn't go to montage video but there was a couple locations in the area and then once blockbuster came what was up we were we were a blockbuster family i i was so <laughs> i went my father and i had to go to either a pharmacy or the grocery store at like i don't know nine o'clock at night for some reason and the blockbuster the first blockbuster in the area just opened up i'm like dad let's get a membership like let's get a membership and we can rent movies uh and he's like uh, he, he's like i don't have my id he didn't have his driver's license i'm like and then there, <laughs> there was a sports illustrated in the car with his name on it i'm like let's use this like it's got our name and address you got your name and address and he 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 humored me like he humored me like okay uh, we'll try like he's not it's not gonna work and we walked in he's like listen i don't have my id this is this is a this is my name and address. Could you make us a, a membership ID? It's like they're like, no, get out. <laughs> I'm like, but we could rent three movies or movies and have them for three days. That's crazy. I was so psyched to go to Blockbuster. Um, but and I mean, I remember, I remember there were times of like watching movies with my dad more so than my mom. And you know, we there's definitely a bonding experiences of that, but a lot of times it's like it was probably stuff I just stuff I wasn't into. I was a little too young for, and I was more embracing like 
I was not like a film guy, a movie guy as a little kid, you know, like where you guys are more, just more like, I wanted to watch TV. I wanted to watch like, I like the shorter, the shorter stories, you know? So for me, like a movie was something different. And like, it, it was just like a, a, a thing to consume here and there, you know, not to keep exploring. So I like, that's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that comes off very apparent when you, if you listen to enough of our episodes together of like, where we're coming from as movie fans or whatever and like anyway i just like to me like that it's it's weird to not weird but like to share something with like your your adult parents that that again the age gap like you know you just don't even understand shit at a certain point but you you know you like it or whatever but like we didn't really have that so I, i would watch movies a lot mostly action with my dad um, and he loved them and they were cool. Like I liked, I, I liked action movies for sure. But when it got into heavy stuff, like lethal weapon really does it like that was, I mean, I might've seen it with them to be honest. I don't remember, but I definitely don't, I don't, you know, I didn't come back to it. And, and again, it's just like, it's a little much. I mean, the opening scene is like a woman who's on drugs and she's nude and she, yeah. she totally. dies like, like, holy you shit. Do, all of that like, happens. You're correct, David. Uh, well i'm recounting it just because it's like imagine a fucking seven-year-old yeah, watching yeah no, absolutely that's yeah it's fucked up like why would i you know yep and that uh, that's just fucked up <laughs> yeah. so anyway so again so it, 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 this is just prompted from seeing it and seeing it at a young age and i'm like how does that happen but even i saw it at a young age because right it's, but i don't i don't even remember the, cir- the circumstances so you know we we debated back in the the I call it the PBE, the pre-Brent era of reconsinimation. We did our first Christmas episode was on Die Hard, which you can hear in the archives at www.reconsinimation.com. And on that show, David and I, it was the first great debate of, of reconsinimation where we discussed whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie as that particular year that was that di- that discussion was hotter than like it ever was, it was for very some reason on the internet yeah, and all yeah the internet. like well, 2018 like that everyone was just going back and forth about it so right so did we and uh lethal weapon is well i guess what do you guys consider a christmas movie what defines a christmas movie for you guys it's about the holiday season in some tangential way so about what like families being together about the actual holiday of Christmas. But celebrating it, but with the idea of the whatever whatever is defined as the spirit of Christmas, the not just, oh, this thing happening in the background, mm-hmm. which is very much what's happening in Die Hard and much more so in Lethal Weapon. It's something that's happening in the background. It's not really about what any what Christmas means at all. Well, yeah, there's, there's, I think there's levels to it. Yeah. But so, but a Christmas movie is, has got to have sort of embrace to me embraces the spirit of, you know, uh, giving, uh, you know, what about about it's giving bullets, giving bullets to bullets and punches, (laughs) but you know, so, so something that something of that is more about the culture of Christmas, you know, as a Mm -hmm. theme thematically it, right it's got to have a theme to it 
yeah i mean clearly so. yes like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna so argue that's where, about I, that's that, where but, i come from yeah right you know yeah like a uh, christmas story home alone like mm-hmm. versus your goodfellas and your lethal weapons like there there's a big difference of movies that are about christmas and movies that have that either take place at christmas or have christmas elements in them right. which is what we we have here you know yeah, i will say themes. right i will say there is a theme of uh forming a family and a family ending up mm-hmm. together at christmas as the at the conclusion of the movie so absolutely yeah the ending kind of if you're going to make an argument you can just be like well you know they they invited this guy who's got a lot of problems in for christmas dinner and that it only because like that that's that that that's all you get yeah that, that's it oh come gonna... on there's christmas music <laughs> there's christmas trees yeah i mean there's not a lot you can do with your la backdrop to to like because la is boring <laughs> la so, is I mean, uh, you, not you a great place start, at christmas it's not a great place to try and sell a holiday <laughs> you know if if you're gonna do it because i mean it's 75 and sunny all the time so yeah. you know but if you're going to try it, you're going to put in Christmas music. You're going to put in other themes like John mentioned, a family's coming together, celebration. Um, but you, you don't know. witness that. It's just something that happens again in the background. Like they go into, he goes into dinner, but we don't see them having the dinner, right? We yeah. don't see, you know, the, see the family. You know, we get to see it. earlier in the movie. We see him interacting with the family. It's great. So yeah, it's, it's like, you know, it's assumed that it would be as great as that was. I, we don't need to see it. But what I mean to say is like, you know, there's no giving, giving, giving of of of, of things. Of, of, so, of so spirit. if there was if there was one more scene at the end, if you go inside the gifts. house and they are exchanging gifts, does that make it a Christmas? Well, movie? you know, Riggs gave him the bullet. I mean, like yeah. we, but and right. like this and it's sort of a, a redemption arc. I mean, listen, he, I'll give you that. Lethal Weapon's more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard would ever. Really? I, see, I, I, I kind of disagree. I, I think, I think they're Hard... both Christmas movies, but, <laughs> but I would say that Lethal Weapon does have kind of a stronger familial holiday theme sure. than, than Die Hard. But I wouldn't say that Die Hard doesn't have that either. I mean, he's coming home to see his wife like, for the holidays. So yeah, well, yeah. I'll deny Die Hard up and down, but I will. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but. Like I said, I'll give. I would give more points to Lethal Weapon than I would Die Hard. Tra- traditionally, I always every every year, pretty much every year, I would come out with like my my Christmas list of how I was feeling the Christmas movies that year, like whatever top twenty from least Christmassy to most Christmassy. And Lethal Weapon would always be one of the first ones on there, like deep, you know, more towards number nineteen twenty, uh, but. And Die Hard would be way up there for me. Be like top seven. It's the same movie. It's yeah. the same movie. But watching it this time. These are the time, same movies. Watching it this no. time, it actually like the, the the familial side of it really stood out a little bit more. I mean, it's been a long time since I've see, seen it. But um, so I don't know. I, th- I think I agree with you that I would rank it higher than I had been previously. But um, yeah, I mean, I think family is a huge. Mm-hmm element and theme to this to this movie oh yeah yeah you know especially with uh you know obviously with with danny glover's family and oh the murtaugh's are a great yeah 
I want to spend more time with the merch. I, I honestly, at the yeah, end, I was awesome. like, I got, I got to watch the sequels. Like, I'm, I'm, like, in the next couple of weeks, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna watch all the sequels. Yeah, I'm they're gonna fun. them all. I mean, I'm gonna enjoy the, them. Yeah, I don't care how stupid like number four is when Jet Li like burn tries to burn down the house <laughs> with the, the the family tied up in chairs. I'm like, well, that's just '90s like crazy bullshit. Like, yeah. that's awesome. Like, <laughs> that's that's like, that's the '90s like, for you. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> well, that's, you know. Let's let's talk about that. I mean, let's let's rewind just for a second. That what was the the action and the cop movie like leading into this? There had been a like massive change over the past twenty years prior to this, from straightforward like police movies prior to the you know new Hollywood wave and the you know prior to nineteen seventy really, and then you get a movie like The French Connection which we covered right also listen to it in the archives um you know about a a a really edgy cop who is riding that line from you know a good cop and a bad cop and breaking the law and you know going outside the law and to get you know ultimately get the quote-unquote bad guys but what is he willing to do to get there and that you know through the uh yeah and of course you get dirty harry who I mean, Dirty Harry is like a complete political statement, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the landscape of the way police films were shown was completely changing. And then you get into the 80s, you know, you've got life in America had changed so much since the late 60s. And there have been so many negative things, you know, Vietnam and Nixon and, and there's so much cynicism out there and. So action movies started to change again, like around this and Top Gun. And um, they were getting in like a sense more lighthearted, um, just bigger, more, you know, just well, action packed and less. I mean, you touched reality. you touched on it, right? Like the 70s war were there was more cynicism, you know, coming out of Vietnam, uh, Watergate, everything that was happening, happening there. The Cold War was starting to really change a lot of things in the 80s but like america itself was booming and doing great and mm-hmm. and things were you know i mean there was there was an optimism in the 80s with reaganomics and all this other stuff going on that like now you look at it and it's like okay well maybe we should have pumped the brakes but then like there was <laughs> it was a very different kind of feel you know like it, it felt like weights were being lifted from our shoulders of the 70s right mm-hmm. and not that i spent a lot of time in the 70s i was just you, you just there for the tail end <laughs> yeah. but nonetheless like you look at it just from a historical standpoint of what was happening and and where the country was evolving and what was what was transpiring at the time and so like you do see it in the movies and leading up to this it's like you get you're starting to get those comedy elements to these movies that you didn't necessarily get uh, in in the earlier movies that you talked about in French Connection and mm-hmm. Dirty Harry, things like that. When you did see comedy, it was much more slapstick, you know, like the police squad stuff, things that, of that nature. But which this wasn't is, which wasn't successful at the time. Right. You know, it right. was just a little too early. Yeah. But this is this is not right. And it starts, I think, I know in a lot that that we read or talked about leading up to this, like 48 hours gets a lot of credit, but I think even before then it's like Beverly Hills cop 
like the first Beverly Hills Cop starts kind of introducing like that comedy well, no. action. Forty Eight Hours was first, and then that oh, led okay. so, to Beverly Hills Cop, and the, it's yeah. like it's like a path is being created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're you're starting to see like the birth of this type of storytelling, this type of merging of you know some dark elements, some action, some humorous bits. You know, not that not that they're all humorous and some of them are are absolutely laced with some some pretty heavy shit but like that scene where where Riggs is up on top of the building and and kind of they jump off like there's a lot of comedy in that even though like what's driving that scene is super dark you know the yeah. scene itself is pretty hilarious you know like and if you put it like if you look at it like it's bananas yeah so, i mean and it's also like the third um they're really kind of putting it right in your face about, okay, Riggs is suicidal. We know this is the third scene where we're, we're getting shown that. Well, what's really interesting, I think, because the follow-up scene from that is when they go into that shop and he's like, they have like the little standoff and, you know, Danny Glover basically saves his life. You know, it's that moment where Riggs pulls the trigger. And if Danny Glover hadn't thrown his hand in between the hammer uh, and, and the bullet, like Riggs would have shot himself. Mm-hmm. It's also the last time you see them really focus on the suicide element of it. And I thought that that was an interesting, I noticed it particularly in this viewing and I, I wanted to talk about it because I find it very interesting because a lot of times when you read or hear about people who are suicidal and attempt to take their lives and, and survive afterwards, like immediately after they do the thing, that's supposed to take their lives. Like a lot of them share the same story where it's like, I regretted it and I immediately wanted to live. And I think it's interesting in this movie that they have that moment. And then after that, they don't bring it up anymore. And it's more like he's come to terms with it. And he's had that moment, even though it's unspoken Mm -hmm. until the very end when he gives him the bullet. And I was like, man, you know, that's pretty cool. Like it's, it's, I don't know how many people picked up on that. If it's just me, like I have had a couple people in my life do that. And so, you know, like I was very aware of it. So it's just like that to me was very kind of an interesting pivot point in, in the movie where it, where it kind of switched. Yeah. I want to, I want to come back to, to the darkness of this, this movie compared to the other ones and Riggs in particular, and, and just the depth of the two main characters um, but one of the thing I wanted to point out too, just in the, the changing landscape is, you know, at this point in the eighties with Reagan and everything, uh, we were seeing cops and military people really getting portrayed as page, super patriotic heroes. So whether it's Arnold or Stallone or, you know, um, any of these cop movies, they're, they're a lot of times fighting some kind of. Uh, ethnic group, um, you know, a lot of obviously race plays into a, a into this film in a huge way. But a lot mm-hmm. of times, it's like white cop, male white cops against whatever v- cultural variety of or eth- ethnic variety uh, as the as the villain. Yeah. So you're seeing that kind of like left and right and all over. And you do get, um, you know, Eddie Murphy was was kind of started this with with 48 hours in Beverly Hills cop and 
sort of opened the door for Lethal Weapon to address the race issue a little more directly. But then you turn the corner and you get Die Hard, which is like the action movie at its peak. Uh, and then just a slew of imitators of all of those right. afterwards. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me in this movie, like I I think the relationship between uh, Murtaugh and, and uh, Riggs is, even though it takes a minute to get there, like I think it's great, like their chemistry together and how they feed off each other and and play off each other is great. And I love that, you know, like Danny Glover's, family is such a it's so solid it's solid as a rock you know and and they're you know it's a beautiful family environment and family you know um that invites Riggs in when he's having kind of all these issues and I think that that's pretty awesome and you know I don't know that we saw that portrayed that much prior prior to this I mean I'm sure there were other other films that did that but I think that it's pretty pretty great here well really well done originally like the original script by shane black who again we've also talked about uh and especially Lots. in this time period uh in our in our archives with monster squad and and um night of the creeps and we you know we've hit him a few times but uh that racial element like isn't really scripted in his version it's just two cops well, yeah. his original script is is really different from what the final one would be, and they're more beat cops who who are trying to sort of prove something. Um, and it ends his script ends with a uh, there's there's, a, there's like a car chase with a truck filled with cocaine like through the Hollywood Hills, and the truck ends up going <laughs> off the cliff, and this snowfall of cocaine all over the Hollywood sign is how it ends. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, which is kind yeah. of like a, a, similar to the ending of two, but switch it out with with money. But uh, right. I think the largest element of Shane Black's script that exists in this version is that opening scene, right? I believe that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. You know, Jeffrey, well, we'll talk about how Jeffrey Boehm came in uh, a little bit later. But uh, yeah, the the it's all about their characters and their, you know, the Riggs and Murtaugh and their relationship and the polar opposites of that opening of, of what their home life is like. And, and Murtaugh is just turned 50. He's gonna, he's looking forward to retirement. So he can go hang out on his boat and be with his family. And Riggs has like nothing. He, he lives in this really like rundown trailer or mobile home on the beach with his dog and just like booze and cigarettes and guns probably ev everywhere, <laughs> you know? Uh, and we get that fabulous uh, naked, naked butt shot for Mel Gibson. All right. A lot of nudity, right? Right up front in the beginning of the movie. Right at the gate. It's the eighties, man. But um, yeah. So Shane Black has a pretty like edgy, dark script uh, starting off here. Uh, pitches it he's pitching it around it's getting turned down everywhere but mark canton at uh at warner brothers liked it bought the script for two hundred and fifty thousand, and assigns joel silver to produce now we've talked about joel silver a lot and we probably have a bunch more of his down the road to discuss i mean 
he was like one of the mega producers of the 80s and 90s and he's still going today i mean he's did going into this he was very connected with uh with walter hill so he he helped produce the warriors and then xanadu 48 hours streets of fire brewster's millions brent that's that's one of your favorites isn't it i do like brewster's millions yeah uh but then weird science commando and jumping jack flash so a lot of big movies in there and then they would only get bigger after this with with uh with Die Hard and then down the road, the matrix, right? Like, I mean, that was yeah. yep. one of the biggest of the late nineties and Sherlock. Yeah. Did he do that? He, he, yeah, he, he did. Uh, I think he did some stuff on Sherlock and nice guys. And well, you know, I think just... Shane black and Joel silver are kind of paired, tied, always paired together. Tied together. Yeah. As, and I think as it should be, but um so they bring in uh, Richard Donner to direct. Now, Donner is also probably still in a, a long peak of his career. Uh, he had he'd been directing TV since like the late 50s. Like he directed oh, wow. the pilot of, of Wanted Dead or Alive, which was the Steve McQueen's Western. I mean, wow. so he was directing McQueen before McQueen got big. Right. So... You know, he's been in the business almost 30 years at this point. Oh, wow. Uh, so <laughs> he'd been around, but uh, all over TV, like every TV show of the 60s, it feels like he had a, uh, a hand in a few episodes and then switches to features with uh, with the Omen in mid 70s. And how do you guys feel about the Omen? David, have you seen the Omen? Not really. A little bit. I, I see. I, I struggle with it only because I am not a Gregory Peck fan. He just wow. he just kind of drives me nuts. So and if, and he's the lead. So it's like you gotta stay yeah. with him if you're gonna like the movie. But but the the style of the movie is fantastic. Brent, you you're an Omen fan, aren't you? Uh it's not my favorite. Uh, you know, I don't dislike it, but. Uh, there are other movies from that kind of era that I prefer over the Omen. Yeah, it's not my favorite either, but I think a lot of what he did in that movie was, to me, it really flows with The Exorcist of, you know, really having a big impact and yeah, doing a good job of making something truly scary. I like it more than Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Yeah. All right. Copy that. Um, and then the Omen is a big hit. It's exactly what Donner needed to get his his feature career going. And he turns around, and the next movie he does is Superman, which was a huge movie for me as a kid. And that's one of the first movies I ever saw. And I love I loved Superman. That was like right up with Star Wars for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, are, well, how do you guys feel about Superman two? Because I, you guys are aware of the whole controversy, right? Yeah, right. I, I'm a huge fan of Superman too. Yeah, I, I, the first, I mean, even before seeing his cut, I was a big fan. Yeah, of, me too. Of Superman too. So yeah, no, I love Superman too. Yeah, um, it just they do such a good job. I mean, Superman, the first Superman is such a good. It, it really, to me, is like a formula of doing the origin story. Like mm-hmm. they really nail, obviously yeah. we've seen them struggle and struggle with Superman movies ever since. 
but just yeah. looking at it, it's really straightforward. And I think that's part of the problem today is that they're overcomplicating the story. Like what are the beats of the Superman story? Let's hit those notes and let it be what it is. Let's not go crazy with trying to do all these other things. And it just works. And then two is such a great follow-up to that of taking these villains you see for a minute in the first one, because these movies are sort of almost like one movie and you know everything at this point. So you can just get in and go. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the Donner cut, I don't know. I do like the Donner cut better than the, than the, uh, you know, official version. I wish it was finished. You know what I mean? Like that's the one it takes me out of it in the scenes where it's, you know, it's not complete. And right. so that's, that's the one part that's kind of a bummer. I have yeah. to watch the, the, the Donner cut. Is it, is it both movies? Like as one big movie or what is the, I forget. No, it's, it's his cut of what, what he would have, what his version of Superman two would have been. Got it. Right. Cause he, yeah. he, he shot a lot of it, right? He shot a lot of it, but was kind of asked to leave or left before it was finished. Yeah. Uh, but years, years, and years later, uh, yeah. They kind of came back to it and kind of let him piece together uh, as best he could what his version was going to be. But there's incomplete pieces. There's some found footage and stuff like that that they use. <clears throat> uh, but there's like whole like elements that are kind of missing. And I don't know, it, it, I, I like it and I wish that they could have done it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it is what it is now. Um, but I like the original too. Like, I'm yeah, not, the know. original completely works. It's a great, great movie. Yeah. I mean, and it's, he shot like 80, 85% of it. Right. So it's like almost his movie. And then they just, you know, adjusted yeah. whatever they were going to do. The um, cellophane, like the weird cellophane S thing that they do in the, in the, uh, is that his, is that his thing? In in the second yeah. movie, yeah. And so it's you know when they're in the fortress of solitude, I'm just yeah. like, I don't know about. <laughs> they give him some weird ass from? powers. Man. Yeah, yeah. There's but, a couple changes there, but I was I gave him a pass for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> it was cool, right? Like, yeah. You know, that stuff. Um, but so obviously he had a falling out with the producers on that, and and uh, was asked to leave that project early, but then. You know, goes on to make other other movies through the the early eighties. He, he does the toy. He does Lady Hawk. He does the Goonies, which we will cover at some point. A personal uh, a personal favorite here. Yeah. But um, and then he was going to direct the Lost Boys, and then at the uh, really at sort of the last minute pulls out of that and just uh, produces it. And and uh, Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher comes in to direct. So I wonder how the, that movie does have like a bit of a Donner feeling to me that there's, you know, there is a bit of his flavor in it, but, but obviously it's, it's a lot of Joel Schumacher too. Um, but that leaves room for him to do this movie and, and, you know, his career obviously was solid to this point, but this is really like, cements him as the a-list director that he would stay at for the rest of you know pretty much into the 2000s when he started yeah. to kind of wind it down and just produce but um he's the one who brings in jeffrey bohm to come in and rewrite the script and bohm really fleshes it out adds more of the the human the I, I wouldn't say humor but like the light-hearted uh beats to it 
pumps up the like relationship, you know, dynamic between the two of them. Uh, he also wrote, he rewrote Shane Black's uh, script for the second movie. And then he just flat out wrote part three. And then I think they, he wrote four, but then they didn't use his script. So mm. always kind of connected with this franchise all the way through. But, uh, you know, and he had done Straight Time, which is a great uh, Dustin Hoffman film from the 70s and uh, Stephen King's The Dead Zone. So, you know, he he uh, now has an established uh, screenwriting career, even though he doesn't end up getting credited for Lethal Weapon. But it seems like everybody knows that it's kind of his movie. <laughs> Mm. Uh, um, but yeah like they're they're uh you know kind of putting all the elements together and then of course the cast is uh next to come and mel gibson at this point really wasn't a megastar that you know we knew he would we know him of as as he is now or or after this point but he had done his australian films he had done Mad Max, which was like an import into the U.S., and the same thing with the Road Warrior, and he did Gallipoli and Tim and um, the Year of Living Dangerously, but none of those were like a big mega mega hit that's going to make him an A-list. So uh, he had, I think, connected with Donner when he was making Lady Hawk, and they were like, "We want to work together at some point, so we'll figure out what project it's going to be." And I don't know. I think it's it's uh, almost. I mean, who else can you picture as Riggs? No, there's not. There's not many. It's a short list to play yeah. Riggs, hundred percent. To buy to buy all the 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 levels of that character, you know, just and everything he's going through, and and <clears throat> to have that level of charm and and just everything. I mean, it 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 is it is kind of crazy to watch the two like Danny Glover and him work together like. I mean, Danny Glover's a great actor and everything, yeah. and like just, but like, Murtaugh is just awesome. Like, in <laughs> and and it, I felt like I, I felt like going into this, like, oh, this is going to be Riggs's movie kind of thing, but it's not. It's really, it's it's it really is a an equal thing. Like, they're both two very different people coming together um, in a partnership, and it, it really works. Like, it just works so strong. I, um, I think if you clock the screen time too, it's it's pretty close like yeah. it probably tips in mel in, in mel gibson's favor just slightly and of course the title lethal weapon like that's it's rigs that, that that is referring to but yeah um but really it's pretty much equal footing yeah the 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 the, the iconic line where he says that it's uh we would have to register as a lethal weapon was poorly adr'd in <laughs> <laughs> along with the the at the family dinner where Murtaugh where he raps that you don't see any footage of him actually doing it. You only see the reaction and an ADR of the rap that they wrote in later or something. Yeah. I, I mean, who knows if that was completely improvised at the time or something. I mean, I just don't know, <laughs> but it's like, you actually don't see Danny Glover do it at all. Uh, there's a lot of ADR lines in this movie that yeah. just sound terrible. It, it's, it's, yeah, it does take you out a little bit when you when you can hear that just a different level of the sound mm -hmm. quality. Yeah, it's like oh, that doesn't sound like he he did ten seconds ago when he was talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, you know, it was hard to capture things uh, the way you can capture it now. So yeah, and Danny Glover going into this was really like he had just done 
really supporting roles. He did Places in the Heart, Witness, where he's one of the villains with almost almost no dialogue in that, uh, Silverado, and then The Color Purple. So, you know, he's he's building, but definitely had not had a lead role like this. So uh, he was doing a play when when uh, Donner reached out to him to to come to L.A. and meet Mel Gibson. And they'll just kind of have a read through, not like a table read, but just like we'll read the script together and just see if this is a good fit. And Donner said, like, immediately, like they were finding character beats and emotional beats that they were hitting and you know like when they're you know really like going at each other and then crying and and just like they're hitting all these emotions that he's like i didn't even i didn't even see that in the script and they found those places well yeah i mean that's the thing it just speaks to both of their talent like and you know i mean how much how much older is danny glover than mel gibson uh i think he's He's less than ten years older. Is it only ten? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, it's. I think he's like six or seven years older. Okay. And, like, and so, and and he's forty at this point. Danny Glover's forty, playing a fifty-year-old. Right. right. Yeah. He's playing, exactly. Like. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Because Danny Glover was born in 46, 47 or something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're. Yeah. They're about ten. They're about ten years apart. As I look them up, I look them up, but. Yeah, I was like, boy, he's really in shape for fifty. Like that doesn't. <laughs> like not that yeah. a 50 year old couldn't yeah. be that couldn't look exactly like that but like but in the 80s you know you know, you know what i always found funny is that in 87 danny glover is playing murtog who's all about his age and that he's too old to do this action stuff and three years later he's in predator 2 replacing arnold schwarzenegger and we're meant to believe he's yeah, uh, you know, able to keep up with the predator and running all over the city and this kind of big action star. It's like mm, Hollywood. I think you need to decide what we're doing with Danny Glover here. There's a lot of mixed messages there. He's got range. He's, He's got, got range. range. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted you wanted you wanted to believe a Detroit cop or whatever is it Detroit that it takes place in? No, L.A. Oh wait, uh, uh, talking about Predator too. Yeah. No, that's actually L.A. Also, it's also L.A. I yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Futuristic L.A. Futuristic. Uh, you know, yeah, you need. I think like him, he was just like at that point, Danny Glover's just a cop, right? Like, right. He's a perfect. He's a perfect like cop who understands things a certain way. So you want it like he. If he didn't do Lethal Weapon, he, we never would have seen him in Predator Two. Oh yeah. So, no, 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 uh, never. I don't know but, where his career would have gone. I mean, I think he would have had he not gotten Lethal Weapon. I. I think he would have just done more dramatic stuff and probably never gone the action route at all. That not that he did like a huge amount of action movies, but it was enough. Yeah, I mean, if yeah, he's kind of, yeah there, there's enough on there that he's in these blockbusters, but he's not really a blockbuster actor. But mm-hmm. he he was you know he was a big deal for for a number of years just for that for that association. But um, that but that yeah. that chemistry between them is just like you see it on screen and it's there off screen that that um it's just it's just the right mix and so they yeah. they really obviously like hit a home run with that casting and um another person in this, this movie who's been on our show uh, when we <laughs> talked about Silver Bullet is the great Gary Busey. Oh uh, yes. Now this Ooh, is a right. different Gary, very different Gary Busey than what we saw in Silver Bullet. 
This is Gary Busey making his comeback. Yeah, this is Busey 2.0. Yep. He's really cleaned up. Looks good. Good hair. Looks in shape. Yeah. It takes oh, well, it you know, great. his his career started started out so hot with the Buddy Holly story and and uh you know getting Oscar recognition for that. And um and then you know, he got into to drugs and struggled in the early part of the 80s. He gained a lot of weight and hard to find the right you know, kind of follow-up role for him. Although I think he's perfectly cast in Silver Bullet. Um, he's also in Let's Get Harry, which is a movie we're going to talk about one day mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. 10 people that know that movie. Um, and this is sort of, you know, this is his comeback. You're right, that he needed to start over and was uh, really willing to try something different. He lost like 60 pounds, dyed his hair blonde, was willing to take a, I mean, Mr. Joshua really isn't in the movie that much, but he's got a no. huge impact, like great villain, very violent, crazy, yeah. <laughs> you know, psychotic. And, uh, and Busey does such a great job. And this really like relaunched him, you know, because then we'd see him in predator two, we'd see him in point break and, you know, a, a whole bunch of movies through the nineties. But unfortunately the, the drugs and, you know, I think a couple of motorcycle accidents would yeah. really, do a lot of damage to him. So by the late nineties, he's not quite the same guy anymore. Um, not able to really do the range that he could have before. And then now he, you know, he was kind of down to a reality star. Really. I think he like, he's like a judge now for some show. Oh, judge Busey. Judge Busey. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Judge Busey. I'll, I'll tune yeah. in. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm a Busey fan. <laughs> yeah oh there's a lot of Busey to love for sure <laughs> absolutely but um i just watched a uh, a western that he did in the early 80s with willie nelson called barbarossa very oh. uh uh interesting interesting western but but it was good good role for him but uh anyway and then we've got a lot of other great uh we'll just you know run through some a of lot the other of names talent here. a lot of I great mean, hollywood talent in this the, movie it's We've huge. got another reconsideration legend in this movie. That's right. And um, that, that is Mr. Tom Atkins is yeah. back. Tom, Tom Atkins, back. Hall of Fame reconsideration. Like, First ballot Hall of Famer. First ballot, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> uh, great to see him as the distraught father who's actually dipping his toes in the wrong place and uh, pays the price. Yeah, I didn't. I forgot all about that. That he, you know, uh, but uh, but just good to see him. You know, in this huge movie, like you know, I mean, I mean, Tom Atkins was always busy, but you know, you don't see him a lot in the big mainstream things, right? Yeah, well, and he's sporting the the sweet mustache. You know, we saw a couple of movies with him without it, but it's here and in full effect. Here we go. This was the first Tom Atkins movie I ever saw. So sure it started for a long time it was like oh the guy from michael hunsacker from lethal weapon not <laughs> right. from all the other great roles he did <laughs> now it's changed but yeah um, so, so that yeah among others yeah uh, and, he, and he's not really in the movie that much either but he's sort of sort of the catalyst of why this whole situation has even happened and and yeah. how it of course why murtog takes a personal uh investigation into it yeah it would have been a totally different story if Murtaugh just checks, checked his messages. Yeah. 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 Just would have turned into a different thing. Yep. 
back in the days when you could go days without checking. Yeah, that's <laughs> technology is not where it is now. I, I can't go 30 seconds without checking for a, a text yeah. or whatever. Oh, yeah. You leave a message for someone and if they didn't get back to you, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. He's not calling me back. Or, well, you got to keep you know. calling. Yeah. Now you text somebody you don't hear back in like five minutes. You're like, what the F? What's yeah. wrong with you? Personal <laughs> insult. Yeah. Why are you blowing me off? Ugh. Yeah. I don't think oh. Riggs would own a cell phone. Or if he did, <sighs> it would be a flip phone. Be an old. It's definitely a flip phone. Yeah. Today? You think in 2020? He's still Cordy. Yeah. I love a T9 word. T9. Yeah, and, and Murtog would have a, a Nokia, one of the old Nokias that yeah. no reason to get rid of it. Still works. Still works. Still robust. Keeps a um, charge. Let's see. So we've also got Mitchell Ryan in this movie. Great character actor. We saw him in Gross Point Blank and uh, another oh, yeah. person who, you know, you recognize his face from a million movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darlene Love, who plays uh, Roger Murtog's wife. Uh, Another Christmas, a big Christmas element is just having Darlene Love in the movie because she sung so many, you know, great Christmas songs in the in the late 60s with the Phil Spector, you know, sound uh, wall of sound uh, movement. So, um, you know, great, great little tie in there. And and we've got Mary Ellen Trainer, who is the mom of the 80s as the psychiatrist. Yeah, the psychiatrist in an open, open cubicle office, calling, yeah. telling uh, Riggs's boss that he's crazy. <laughs> he's yep. psychotic, suicidal, yep. and psychotic. I'm like, oh shit! There's some HR nightmares going on here. <laughs> like, <laughs> how the times have changed. Holy shit! Like, but you know what? She's right. She's oh, not she's wrong. correct. Yeah. I mean, you know, her concerns about him were a hundred percent on point, but it's just funny of like, it doesn't matter in the context of the movie, but it's funny to think like, oh, this just like, you'd never, you, you wouldn't even do it this way today. You'd, they'd be in a private office talking, not him going to the can, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. right. <laughs> which is very there's a lot of like masculine el- elements to this movie. You know, it's a very much a dude movie uh, of you know and that's the difference of of that so it's like not that he said it or anything but it is like he's going to the men's room and she's just kind of like you know getting in his face about uh and he he doesn't buy it the, the captain doesn't buy it at all what do you uh i don't know well if he kills himself whatever you're right then you were right like jesus christ yeah yeah uh you know just it's just kind of like a you know there's a just a dude element just even like mel gibson you know uh, with his his behind showing, it's just sort of a uh, like look look what we're you know he's he's this, this guy you know he's real in shape. He's this is a completely masculine movie. I mean, yeah, the you you've you've got what three females with any kind of dialogue with with the psychiatrist and and Mrs. Murtog and then and and then Murtog's daughter, yeah, Tracy Wolf. Um, but you know this movie which wouldn't pass funny. the Bechdel test. That right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, which I you know for what the whatever flaws of that might be, it is interesting if you were to poll about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies where the Bechdel test could be applied. It's like, yeah, that doesn't really happen. Like it doesn't yeah. really work. So it is just sort of it, it points out trends, right? But uh, not that I need the I, not that I need 
in my action movies, that kind of element. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a fascinating thing of, boy, this really, after 48 hours, like this one, perf- this one really just kind of shows you like, how do you, how do you polish that up? How do you take the 48 mm-hmm. hours formula, polish it up, throw in some darkness, like, you know, a little more darkness where 48 hours had the racism, right. uh, but it also had a lot of Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, you know, comedy in a sense. And then this one has got light moments with some darkness, but, but perfectly countered by the Murtaugh family and their closeness. And there, there's so many just long scenes in this movie that are just help you get comfortable with everybody. Yeah. Lots of lingering things. And I, I have to appreciate the fact that they spend a lot of time on that. It is, there's no shorthand to, the relationships that that exist in this world um that that matter so you know it's it, and it takes its time to really build between Riggs and Murtaugh about you know how how they go from one place and slowly and and slowly move into a different position by the end of the movie so yeah it's like it's expertly done like from top to bottom regardless of like what elements of the script bother you or work for you or don't it's really a like very effective <laughs> it, it's, that's how that's a hard note to really perfect and and donner does it and you know building that family relationship with all of them like you kind of just you kind of want to be there with them like it's com- like it's com- there's some comfort knowing like they're all together and happy and just talk you know like when Riggs is there like they're all just joking around like i could i could sit at that table with those guys and they did a good job all the way through the franchise. Like I'm a sucker. I'll admit it that in the fourth movie, when like the end of the movie, when they're all together and you get that kind of like, this is the lethal weapon family shot. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. oh, that's great. Like, I love it. I, I love I, it. Like I'm a total so sucker for it. Yeah. Fell for it completely. <laughs> Tears in your eyes and everything. Cause it's like the, you know, it's the, or at least at the time was considered the end. And this was the last movie. And, you know, it's it's kind of like that Return of the Jedi shot, the yeah. cast shot at the end. Weren't, weren't yeah. they making? Is Lethal Weapon Five happening? What's going on? Well, yeah. uh, Five was was, was happening, kind of, like, and then really Donner real. passed away. So yeah, I, it's still uh, it's still happening though. Mel Gibson is going to direct now, so which makes he's, sense. He's taken over the the directing duties from Richard Donner, uh, obviously, and so yeah, but I. Even as uh, latest report, as late as like just a couple months ago, that was the the news. Yeah, I mean, with every everything that existed before nineteen, everything that existed before two thousand ten coming back, <laughs> like right, yep. fine, do it, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hope we'll see. Chris, Chris rocks and Brian, you know, son are, are getting in trouble now that they got a Danny Glover's 80. Like I, I look, I, I don't <laughs> now he is good, too old for this. He's, shit. 70, he's 75. Yeah, yes. <laughs> if, if it's a good story and makes sense in the world of these characters, I don't mind them coming back. Do I want to see Danny Glover, like running down some, you know, like whatever, some villain on the street. No, I don't want to see that because then then you're going to be showing me the flaws of the movie you know you gotta, i just you, hope they can hunt down the crystal skulls before 
before the oh, fire ants. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. <this>. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would think the sensible thing to do is a passing of the torch thing, like a new generation yeah, sure. of, of cops doing shit, and yeah, and with cell phones, and then Danny, and then Riggs and Murtaugh don't understand texting, even though it's been around for twenty years. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> it'll be interesting to, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out what and do you it, mean you have a podcast what's that <laughs> um, i'm getting too old for all this so let's talk about the plot of the movie do, does the plot make sense i mean D- david can you can you sum up the plot and just kind of walk through it real quick of of does it make sense to an average viewer? Is it too complicated? Is it not complicated enough? No, I think, uh, no, it's pretty, I think it's pretty straightforward of, you know, a, uh, one detective, uh, who we, we, he's assigned a big case is just as, uh, or he's assigned to a case just as this, this other cop who's had problems gets transferred in and they have, they're forced to be partners because it's the only way to kind of make sure he doesn't get put in different, the dangerous situations. And uh, it's, it's, it's about, uh, you know, an investigation that turns out to be part of something bigger than neither of them expected. Uh, and they find that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It kind of worked. I don't know. It just works. Like it's them just doing, it's them doing their job where you know this is this is huge this is a this is what whatever all this is and they don't get too deep into this thing of where you know the the, the heroine coming into into town that happens twice a year obviously a big deal but they found themselves like just caught up in something way bigger than you know uh a, a, an unfortunate homicide or or a drug or you know small time drug deals so that's not really a plot description, but it's just, you know, it, I think, it, it, I think, and then there's some conveniences where, you know, Riggs is special forces and a lot of these mercenaries are part of that. And mm-hmm. there's like, it would have been a little too convenient if Riggs actually like worked with the, these criminals. Yeah. But right. At least he actually had an awareness of, of uh, Ryan Mitchell's character. Well, yeah, they had like crossed paths in Vietnam, right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, there's like, so there's history that comes up. It's not just like being a cop and like solving a case. It's like, you know, we learn that Riggs is a, a he's a one of, he's one of the most elite snipers in a, in the world, <laughs> which, you know, fun. Great. <laughs> uh, convenient. Convenient. It's definitely very convenient, but makes for some great sequences. Um, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I think it, I think it's it beat, beat to beat to beat all work without being too convoluted or, or anything like that. I mean, I don't know if, what you think, but yeah. well, I think I, it's, I think it's ahead, best not to ask too many questions, which is, which I think they actually allude to in the movie with, uh, with some of the dialogue when they're like, Oh yeah, that's pretty thin when they're talking about when they're going to see the other prostitute. Well, yeah. For, that. For, from a screenwriting perspective, like them figuring out that the actual prostitute, who was a witness is the actual the probable perpetrator like that there's nothing yeah, that that's it's there. pretty thin there's not there's not even like a clue that would clue them in they yeah, know it's a complete some, guess complete guess that turned out to be right i guess <laughs> so yeah we i mean we never really they never fully answer that question because when they go to investigate her her house blows up with her in yeah, it yeah as they walk up to it so that's the and it's not and it's not like 
and it's an explosion which never happens like they couldn't kill her they're special forces they couldn't find a subtle way to kill her they had to draw attention like a gigantic thing that that would i mean an explosion like that and then finding like the evidence of a it certainly a... wouldn't be a lethal weapon movie if there weren't explosions. Oh, yeah. They're Houses setting that explode. trend early. Yeah. yeah. Houses explode in every movie, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's well, what explosion... they do. I mean, they make a whole thing about it in, in later movies about the explosions. I mean, yeah. doesn't the opening of the second movie, or maybe it's the third movie, they're like diffusing a bomb? and Third, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's the Oh, third. that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that. I think they do a great job of like taking what appears to be a, a straightforward suicide and unraveling that story to blow up into something much, much bigger involving like international drug dealings right. with, you know, secret military groups. And, but yet at the same time, it's still just the two of them investigating it. Like they know how big this goes and they never ring the alarm bells with. <laughs> With the rest of the police Tell somebody. Force. Tell anybody. <laughs> like uh, maybe, maybe this is where like the FBI should step in or something right. like that. And nope, just the two of them are gonna take it home. Well, so. that's the latter half of the movie gets a little silly for what it is, and just like well, we need to find out what they know. And I'm like, well, I mean because it's personal, but like at a certain point, they, they would have they just they would have just killed everybody at the dry lake. Like that's it. Like there's no like really and then it's just like, well, let's just move stuff for a little bit. Like there's I, I get it. Like I yeah. you could you could imagine that Tom Atkins would have said everybody who the players are, where you can find them. I get that the care the, the the villains would be like, we have to know if he actually told them, but it's just like they straight up murder him. And then try to kill, but they, but why kill Riggs? And then like, well, Murtaugh's the one we have to save or you know keep alive. And right, why not? You know, you could have you could have kidnapped both of them. You could have just kidnapped them. Like it's it, it gets into it gets very Hollywood in terms of of everything at that point. Even though we've seen a lot of crazy shit, like it's right. very it's very Hollywood of like of this story. Uh, well, but at the time when this comes out, though, but, I mean. They, they again they're establishing it right exactly like that's, that's the exactly. thing is that this was new at the time mm-hmm. since then we've seen it five billion times right. oh yeah and so, in so, so much worse ways but this is like you know you're just you're along for the ride it is kind of like a roller coaster that you're you're in with these characters and you're just moving forward fa- at yeah. a fast pace like this movie it doesn't it doesn't slow down and I love I appreciate the way it's shot. It's it's shot so much different than modern action movies are. Oh, yeah. We talked about Private Ryan's influence on on action movies and how they're con- you know conceptualized and filmed. This has like the same level of energy and action, but it's not just like cut, 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 cut. Visual effects, visual effects. Like it's all real i mean it's all it's all stunts traditional stunts and special effects and um the pacing of it just works nice and smooth and uh you know i think it's it's really well done yeah Uh, yeah that that opening scene when when uh the amanda hunsecker uh character jumps off the off the balcony like you mean right after we're hearing uh beautiful christmas music that's correct. Yeah. That's exactly the, the scene I'm talking about. 
mm-hmm. at the beginning of this holiday movie. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but it's it's I was fascinated by the practical jump off the building. You know, yep. like nowadays it would all just be done with special effect like cg and all yeah. this stuff you know the girl who played amanda hunsecker who's hasn't really done much but uh i think uh what's her name jackie jackie swanson so mm-hmm. she she I, the only other thing she's i think she was in was cheers and she was i think woody harrelson's girlfriend or something at the time i but, remember her from commercials too i think she did a bunch of commercials in the 80s maybe um but something that i read that I found interesting is she actually did that oh. 35 foot jump. Like they just yeah. trained her to do it. They like a stunt person. She was not a stunt person. Just like Alan Rickman like, in Die Hard. Hey, yeah. Do this jump. And she's like, yeah, okay, sure. Why not? I thought that she was doesn't awesome. do, she doesn't do the, the shot where they actually fall the on fall, the car. The, well, she, no, she jumped on a, like a air mattress. The one where thing. we're looking up at her. And exactly. she kind of floats. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I didn't realize that. That's Kelly Gaines. That, that Kelly is a big character on Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. those well, are the only her? two things. Yeah. Those are the only two things she's. Uh, I think she really did. She was a model. Uh, I see. For I think Polo maybe or. Oh, that's Ralph so Lauren. weird. No, she did like dozens of episodes of Cheers. Everyone yeah, she's 20. in like twenty-eight episodes of Cheers. She oh, was, she's she, lovely. She was very funny. They wrote they wrote good material material for her. But that's yeah. that's a shocking opening to a movie. I mean, you're just yeah, oh yeah, you're, no. you're seeing this this beautiful woman, right? You get nudity right away, mm-hmm. and clearly, like there's there's drug use that's happened, and then a shocking suicide, and then uh, you know, with p- paired with that shot of like where they just dropped a camera off the side mm-hmm. of a building and like let it roll yeah. like well and you see the i mean you see a person land on top of the car mm-hmm. the windows i mean it's all it's pretty you know i mean you just don't they don't do it the same way yeah anymore no no and that's uh, and, a, I, I and in most cases unless yeah. you're tom cruise tom cruise will do it yeah but even his stuff is enhanced oh yeah for sure you know they'll well, always and- sweeten everything up well, it's, yeah. Well, and yeah, they they shoot it in a very particular way to really mm-hmm. exploit how this is real. Yeah. Uh, but like, wasn't that one shot though clearly a mannequin falling? <laughs> um, uh, like, from, I, I mean, there from, may have been one, low. but the one where landing on the car is a stunt person. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And but like, okay, so she she jumped like. A few stories out. She does though. that shot. Yeah, there's like a that 30... first shot where she first jumps off the ledge. It's like almost from behind. Like we're on the floor behind her. Right? No, I think like... you're looking at her, and it's like almost like slow. It's slowed down. It's not like slow motion, but it's slowed yeah, yeah. down a little bit. Uh, okay. I think that's the one. Then she lands on. Yeah, it's it. like over a thirty foot drop, man. Yeah, like that's that's wild big, that's, yeah they, would, the they would never do that again they would never do it just because no. it's too unsafe like they would just wouldn't do yeah. it safety uh has changed um although we've clearly had some issues with that this year that we won't get into but yeah. uh when went for real professionals and the the um bigger budget uh projects like safety is like a, a huge a huge 
thing to take seriously. So. Should be paramount. Yep. Because yep. they write the craziest shit in these scripts now. And yeah. You got to do it the right way. But uh, and then what, after that scene, we get into, you know, meeting Murtaugh, meeting Riggs. Uh, and it's Tom Atkins character, who is an old war buddy, uh, Vietnam uh, buddy of, of Murtaugh's. That's how they connect and why, you know, he had been trying to reach Murtaugh because he knew his his daughter was in trouble. But obviously wow. that would that would link uh, much big. That would kind of blow up into something much bigger later. And uh, and then right. just one thing after another. And and the, the action sequences are just so good here. I mean, I I yes, I get that the dry lake scene is a little bit over the top it's well executed oh the whole sequence is great yeah but like it just doesn't make any practical sense like why 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 if they thought Riggs was dead why don't you just shoot Riggs again mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't want him alive to begin with so, right well, let, well let's bring this guy who just killed 10 of our guys yeah we'll bring him in yeah <laughs> it's fine and and that's so things happen because the script demands it not because it makes any sense right which that that's the thing it's like well we got away with that people are entertained by it so we, we can keep doing that we don't yep. we don't have to make a lot of sense like like toward the very like the climax of the movie where he, he Riggs makes that joke of like what did the chickens say or whatever let's get the flock out of here like yeah let's do what one shepherd said to the other shepherd what? let's get the flock out of here he's not he's not quippy like <laughs> and then they give him like a weird joke that like I get the idea of maybe trying to. You're lightening she, it, you know, because the daughter, because the daughter would be so like traumatized by everything that's happening, like him just trying to be kind of like funny in a sense of like keeping it cool, but it just doesn't work in the in this in context to me. But then I'm like, how quippy is he in like later movies? Is it, is it get does it get really weird? Like, or oh yeah, he, it gets like, more more and more as they go along. Clever, more clever and clever. I'm like, okay, so they're planting the seed, like. They probably loved that line. They probably loved it in the theater. Well, that, that's that's a there's a whole side of of Riggs' character. There is a lighter side to it. That's sure funny, and you know he jokes around and he loves the Three Stooges. And um, I know, but the, <laughs> let's just get the flock out of here. And like it's a death. It's it's life or death. Like right there, like <laughs> just murders happening. I'm like, oh, that's okay. That's a little out of a lot of place. Like yeah, <laughs> to me. Not saying it doesn't work, because again, this is like the first time you're seeing all this shit in a movie, kind of put yeah. together. It's not like you, if he was quippy the whole time, be one thing. Anyway, it's fine. It, it, it's not, there's no perfect movie. <laughs> you know, we we talked about that Beretta that he's got. That was like the gun of the '80s, and and I'm I supposedly Bruce Willis's gun in Die Hard is that exact same handgun that same prop gun same prop oh, really i mean it's probably a real gun but uh, the one he tapes to his back yep like that's the same gun in lethal weapon and and die hard Makes supposedly I mean, they're what they're filmed a year apart they're filmed or a they're, year apart they they the same a producers apart. a lot of the same crew yeah i'm sure it will. so Makes well sense. i i i i think probably 10 years ago i was like i wanted to start i was like what if, when blogs were a thing like on on the out like as they were fading away but like i always thought it'd be interesting to uh movie license movie and tv license plates and just screen caps of okay this license plate 
at least Cal- particularly California, because they all say like PCI on them or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it was in this episode, uh, episodes of this, and then can just compiling them. And then when you would then trying to find the repeats, because, you know, they're just being reused by the same prop master or yeah. transpo team or whatever. But then also the fake ice that I don't understand why prop masters put half the glass a a tall boy glass half with ice and then the liquid higher than the ice and the ice doesn't float and there are so many instances of that and i'm like you know how ice works right what are you doing i uh, ice that doesn't float in tv and movies ice drives david crazy i drives me Pet peeve. Bananas. I like, love. You know what ice does. Just I... put three more cubes in there. I love how you you love <laughs> the, the movie. Fuck? The you passion. love the movie Wanted. Yet this ice situation. Oh, Wanted is awesome. It just sends you over the edge. Ice floats. Like I don't care about curved bullets. Like that's bullets hilarious. Curve bullets bend. <laughs> Um, you can't right. tell me you've never you didn't the the first every time you see the ice not floating you don't notice it right like you notice it right like just like when an actor I think I have it. noticed it but it doesn't bother me why because <laughs> <laughs> typically in movies with the ice is not floating there are other problems yeah I'm, I'm probably... get the fuck out of here I'm so, I'm so busy suspending my disbelief with a million other things. <laughs> Every, all of my disbelief is suspended, so I, that just that just I that cannot just goes right spend any more disbelief on anything. This ice has <laughs> fucked me over. If the, uh, you don't, why? Why would you only put five cubes when if you can just if you did eight, then it would just look like a glass of it would just be a glass of of maybe a, be a cocktail. Maybe you need to become the ultimate prop master. Maybe we found I, a new I, career. I really wanted to do a blog of like every time I see ice not working properly just capture that there's the episode here's the show and then maybe looking up who the goddamn prop master was and call and call him out why the fuck isn't there not enough ice cubes mother <laughs> effer no thinking anyway. of, let's get an intern with uh some ice and, and some water for david right now i need cool to cool off, off. Yeah. <laughs> anyway um Ooh, all right so, prop guns yeah <laughs> that, yeah good thing you mentioned the prop guns between the two <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't have had that rant and don't cut any of that out. I won't. I would never don't do bleep that. me either. My favorite. It's just going to be the fast forward sound. All right. So That's let's funny. talk about let's talk about Murtaugh's age. So he's fifty. Danny Glover's forty. Do you buy him uh, doing the action at this point? Yeah. No. Totally. He looks great. Don't, I don't question it at all. Yeah, I think they're I trying to like uh, they 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 dress him a little stodgy, you know, like he's an older guy. Like, with yeah, the, he's got the he's got the old man beard with the with the gray at first, shaves it, goes stash. And you can tell, like, yeah, you can tell either the beard is fake or like the gray is fake. Like, he's not he's not a guy that was graying like in reality. Yeah, mm-hmm. at that point, I don't know. Just I, I but I, I buy I buy the action like his. His stuff isn't too intense, but he's 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 holding his own, mm-hmm. and he's clearly in shape. Like he's he's, he's yeah, he does. He like, looks looks good. You see him in the tub, like you know, you see him his torso. He's 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 you know. I mean, you're talking you're talking about a couple of guys that are part of the generation of 
you know, when you watch TV shows, high school kids are 37 years old. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, so, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think anybody here is going to get hung up on, on, uh, you know, Danny Glover being 40 playing a 50 year old in, in the movie. Yeah. I think, and I think it works just fine. Now. I mean, you've got actors, you know, you got like Tom Cruise, you've got Daniel Craig guys who are definitely on the older side doing much more intense action scenes oh, than yeah, what sure. Danny Glover is doing. Yeah. It's it's interesting how times have uh, changed with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like stunt, like stunt design has been, you know, it's just like it. The envelope's always being pushed, right? So, I mean, this is still, you know, this isn't so intense, but there was a lot going on here, and it was it, it there. There was enough, like so. Him just even with the gunplay and and all the stuff they were doing, like I totally bought the two of them that they're both they're both a little different you know one of them or you know because they're both characters are you know military trained mm-hmm. you know they're both in vietnam that kind of thing and of, of different levels of uh intensity of, of all that stuff but it's just uh you know and it's funny to think like you know if if, if it was a movie today it'd be like they'd be gulf war you know the newest mm-hmm. the latest gulf war veterans you know like is what i did in, in iraq yeah and all that and uh and so, like when this movie came out, it was just like, oh, it was less than twenty years ago. They were in Vietnam. It was like eighteen years ago, like, like what they're saying, like they're they're counting years. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that's not a long time. <laughs> Today, that's that's two thousand three. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it it's it's part of the culture of the the time of that. So yeah, I don't know. Did, were you not buying it, John? Like, him is I? You know, I used to struggle with it a little bit more. That yeah. I I just. I don't know. I, I it was harder for me to swallow Danny Glover doing that. Now it doesn't bother me. I mean, I think I'm so used to like like now knowing that there are older actors doing more action than that. Mm. I think was sometimes it's hard for me to believe them doing it. Like Liam Neeson running around in those action movies. Like oh my god, <laughs> Patrick well, cut- Stewart. Patrick Stewart. I know you liked it, David, but Picard. Him in those action scenes. It's like. Well, it's not even him, clearly. And it's like I don't think he did that many though. What there's did he do? there's some stuff where he's running around. I I was not like, oh wow, P- Patrick Stewart's action scenes were awesome. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. I, I don't even recall him being in an action sequence. He was around them, but I don't think he was doing a lot. He's clearly they play his age up in that in, in the show. Yeah. But uh, uh but you know, you go back to Star Trek generate oh, the, the 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 tng movies they made him work out they made him look good they put him in a in a you know uh what's the proper name of the not the a, an undershirt mm-hmm. but you see the you see the arms and he's climbing ropes and he's kicking ass and he's an picard is an action hero in all the tng movies because they clearly didn't know what the hell they were doing yeah <laughs> like, yeah and it's a it's a shame it paramount you're on notice you, don't ever you, do that to our boy were you looking for tank top tank top thank there you. you go all i could think of is the offense yeah part. i know the one <laughs> we're not supposed to use anymore absolutely i i get it that's what gotcha i was doing a gesture on video you, you saw the yes yeah i did straps. i was like what i know this i know this thing the one What's with the-, the straps um anyway yeah so yeah the actions the action is interesting though because they do seem of different skill sets mm-hmm. um 
And, uh, you know, I, and I got to say, with you know, the way there's a lot of wonders in it or lingering shots that Don are just like, I just, it, it's such a pro. Like the, the, uh, the, the one wonder when they're first coming into the Murtaugh house, there's one with an, at the dry lake where you're mm-hmm. just w- waiting for the villain's cars to get to him yep. from yeah. that distance. And you're just waiting. And yeah. it's like, boy, like, and not even creating like insane tension, but just, just enough. Yeah, you don't um, see that anymore. It's you don't, these aren't cut shot or cut that way. No, they don't they don't do that because like it's got to be more interesting, I guess. Like, yeah, like I don't know. Give the audience a chance to develop feelings. Like yeah. let them see what is going on and have an emotion based on that. Instead <laughs> yeah. of just cut 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 trying to keep up with what we're watching and missing half of it. Yeah. yeah, that's my. I mean, some points. some directors are still doing it, but sure. it's yeah, it's yeah. not it's not the standard uh, approach right. anymore for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, and and there's like and like you were saying, Liam Neeson, like not. I don't think those Taken movies and anything since then are cut very well. Like, and there's that one clip of him in Taken Two, where he run uh, he runs hops a fence that's like 10 feet tall and then drops to the other side and like someone clocked it. it's like it's 18 cuts of like yeah. a like a four second sequence it's like we can do better than this mm-hmm. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah that's intense we can do better yeah like, but it's anyway it it, it is some, it is something to say i wonder like is it cultural where this comes from is it like like people are just not interested. Were they in the focus groups where you have a dial where you're in- engaged and you turn it toward being engaged and turn it to like where you're bored? Like would they sh- like were would focus groups sort of controlling where? Oh, that's like that's too long of a shot. Like I'm not really engaged anymore. But like oh, like here's 15 cuts of a an action sequence. Like engage, engage, engage. So they mm. just like do that more. I mean, t- I mean, or is it the way? editors are coming up in a new as editors are becoming more of a newer generation i I think it's i think it's newer generation of filmmakers in general yeah yeah it's fascinating right i mean you do want like exciting stuff but like when you live with it you don't see it you don't see it from an audience perspective i I guess i feel like directors and depending on the level of of talent like you kind of have to see it with fresh eyes and i don't know can you when you watch the same thing as you're creating it in post like a thousand like you're literally seeing things like hundreds of times over and over i i think it was honestly like michael bay who started that changing it in that direction because that's such a it's a more he comes from music videos and and um where you're trying to tell some kind of story in like two to three minutes so there's a lot more happening and that's how his movies still to this day are that way. Just yeah. cut, cut, right. lots of different camera angles and uh, also why you get almost no emotion from his movies. You just get yeah. action and, you know, going forward. But Confusion. Just, and con- yeah, you don't care about anything. It but, looks cool. This looks yeah. cool. This is cool. This is cool. Real excited about Ambulance, guys. Real excited. Is that a, mo- <laughs> is that a Michael Bay movie coming? Yeah, out? yeah. Ambulance? Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's coming. Uh, anyway, sidetracking. But uh, so there's there's two other big things I just want to cover here. The and I'm curious how you guys think uh, from today's perspective, especially David, you being like less familiar with the movie. How do you feel about 
I mean, the way the whole situation with police and the way they're portrayed now and what the current climate is about um, just police in general and their activity versus the 80s cops who were super cops and superheroes and uh, never thinking about the damage they're causing. It's not an element in the most of the stories. Uh, very rarely was it. You look right. at the dis- destruction that they're causing and probably how many innocent people are getting somehow injured, whether accidentally shot or car crashes or whatever, uh, things blowing up. <laughs> like yeah. all those people in the club, you know, after they get captured towards the end and then escape. And yeah. then there's just that shootout in the club. And what about all the people that get shot there? I don't it's it's it feels like based on what's happened over the last few years that there's such more of a uh, of an eye on that now that kind of thing that you know in the 80s it just didn't matter they're they're not part of the story so who cares if they get killed does that like does that come across to you watching it now i mean it doesn't so much for me but i think the thing is that you know, I saw this movie back in the 80s when it when it came out. Like I've been around for that evolution, mm-hmm. but you know, like I think the whole thing is a, about why it doesn't necessarily play as well now as it would have back then is just awareness, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's all about awareness and and you know, there are things that we you know, there's just information that we have more readily available. You know, there's just a, more transparency. Um, you know, obviously people ha- have the ability to share information um, much easier than, than they did uh, in the eighties. Right. And so, you know, like back in the eighties, when movies were being made, it was about spectacle and making things big and grandiose mm-hmm. and, and now things, you know, there's a sensitivity to, to a lot of different, different things, rightly so, because it's gone, we've gone unaware for so long, you know, and, and now that we're, we're aware, you know, like we want to, I think most people want to try and um, not help fan any of those, like, flames you know like we want to try and make change and try and be better about stuff um so as a filmmaker i think it's got to be tricky i think it's hard to to hold um you know i think it's hard to hold people accountable for for things that they did in the 80s and the way that things were made in the 80s since there wasn't that awareness you know Mm -hmm. but you know it's hard to not watch it now versus then. And I mean, there's, you know, obviously, you know, even with the cops, you know, obviously the police officer situation right now in the United States, you know, it's super delicate situation, but like just mass shootings in general, in any way, mm-hmm. shape or form, there's a sensitivity to and nightclubs getting shot at, you know, I mean, like all this stuff is like real now, like that stuff yeah. was yeah. so not really as prevalent you know yeah i mean Um, and so now anytime it happens you're like oh man that stings different 
Right. Like it, it that those kind of things, it, it just didn't happen. I, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it happened, but like nowhere near as often. And with the spotlight that it happens now that we've seen so many public shootings and school shootings and movie theater shootings. And it's such, uh, it really hits home now. And so many people have been touched by that, that it's hard to, you know, when this film was made, the, that was just, it wasn't as big of a, of, it wasn't as present versus right. now where it is. Right. And it's, well, and I, I would think that even if you showed sequences that were occurring in this movie to cops of the, at the time, they'd say like, there's no way like a police officer would be openly shooting right. down the street and, or in the club or, you know, they would, the, the, to, to, to use lethal force, they really have to understand, they have, they need that situational awareness and all that. So it's like, I, I you know, I, I would, I would, I would think that there were rules that, like this is again Hollywood, the Hollywoodification of action and what cops can do, and then, but but culturally in Hollywood of like, like portraying these cops is like, well, they're the good guys and they're the bad guys, and so whatever it takes, there are characters that will say whatever it takes, you know, and that's why you'll have the scenes in other movies of mm -hmm. the captain yelling at them, you too much destruction and blah 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 and all of that so it's to, to sort of counter like well these guys just do whatever it takes like that's they're the there's that's why we kind of want to watch them because cops don't normally behave like this it's sort of a, a way in but um you know I, yeah that that that's the unfortunate thing of this of like it's sort of uh i don't know deifies the the cops in in some ways of like well Riggs and Murtaugh were doing whatever it took to, to get the bad guy. And then you would see that in countless things and you'd see movie, you'd see these movies with cops and stuff and innocent people actually dying, like in the, in, within the context of the movie, like, and it's like, well, that's unfortunate, but they, they don't even have time to mourn. There's no consequence. Like things just happen. And it's just like, yeah, it, it's really, it's fascinating that I don't know, like I'm not, I am not a fan of cops doing, anything on in media now like i don't i'm not i'm you know the police are there to operate in a certain function but to 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 make them the center focus of the media and portray them as heroes of like this uh i don't really care for i understand yeah. they have a job that i can't even understand and they are at risk every day um but the, it is way it's way too it's way too much now. Like it, there's, it, it's, there are so many layers to things now that I can't have a blanket, like thumbs up for deifying cops, police, military, all of that. But again, I appreciate that people will put, put themselves in danger to protect other people. But at the same token, too much bad stuff has been happening. And yeah, it just, I'm not a fan. Of, well, of and, and it's, it's, a, it's movies like this that sort of glorify, you know, yep. the whole cop situation and, and really spin it that, uh, you know, that they're heroes and that they're always doing the right thing. And, and, you know, this went on for years and now it's just such a more complicated situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not black and white 
like that anymore. Yeah. But as long as you make the bust or you kill the bad guy, all your sins are forgiven. In terms of the movie, where none of those things are, none of the paperwork, none of the investigations, none of the debriefs are explored because that's not the point. It's the bad guys died or got arrested and the good guys won. Right. Um, And it's, it's like, it's just cowboy shit. And I don't know. Like I like good action, but I've never really glommed onto cowboy shit like that. Like I don't, you know, good, you know, black and white kind of mm-hmm. stuff where anything is justified. So that, I mean, so watching this again, I, I'm like, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's, it's a well-executed script. It's a, well, it's a, it's a perfect, it's a good, it's a good script in general, but I don't really care for it. Like I liked it, but I don't care for it. Like it's, I've, I've, moved way beyond 1987's lethal weapon like mm. just uh you know uh, again it's good it, it's well done but if you think on a on broader terms in a bigger way like i don't know there's it sets the stage for too many things that are wrong with for me in my opinion of hollywood mm-hmm. police bad guys versus good guys that's yeah just i mean me. n- not necessarily intentionally either no but it's yeah it it did um the other that generation it's that generation's you know this is what they did it's fine i don't have to like it and i and then you know whatever and if people like it great do your thing it's all good what do you um what do you guys think about the the racial equality message in in the film because because that really the whole the whole series like that's an element that is addressed all the way through that each movie that that's that plays a part where where this movie you know just introducing the story with the Murtaugh family as the you know real straightforward good family life you know everything's kind of uh like working out for them and it's and it's Riggs who's just a mess <laughs> you know um you know, at the same time of, of like the Cosby show is out there. Like they called this movie, Mad Max meets the Cosby show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting in features and TV kind of this, this that you hadn't really had before this picture of, of black family life as like, Hey, this is like, everything's, everything's good here. You know, like there's not, um, they don't even address the, the race issue. Like, directly at all in the movie right um so just in doing that and i i think i don't know i think that was a good step of of showing it that way without having to like make it a thing like oh look a black family you know they don't they don't it's not too on the notes you know yeah there's something to be said of like being colorblind to these things um that they're it's it's not it, for for both for all the characters there's literally no black or white issues at, at play mm-hmm. um and i think there's room for stories like that and to you know it's not like the huxtables or the murtaugs are are a um uh an exception to to anything at all in in american life um but it you know so so that it doesn't do anything in this first movie to to spotlight that i think i think i think it's fine because i I think it's not really a movie about race you know like yeah 
and it and it's not the responsibility of every story necessarily to address the racial issues that might be at play in 1987 la and cops and but you know with murtog interviewing the kids in like the more rundown neighborhood and it's um they're you know what six years old black uh black Mm -hmm. neighborhood kids and they were saying like my mommy says that cops kill black people is that true is that true it's like the one it's the one thing of actually like touching on it Mm -hmm. um but not going anywhere further with it so it's a it's a it's a little like i don't know i i by doing that it is maybe a little cowardly to not go a little deeper but um if but even but if you took that if you took those that line out you know it'd be a non-issue right Mm -hmm. you wouldn't right but um it's it's like some it's some attempt to acknowledge the problem but Uh, it's everyone's it's everyone's off the hook for it so Mm -hmm. um for for this particular movie for what it's doing i I don't know i don't think they're they don't i i don't think they did anything wrong but i'm a white guy who who i'm just i'm a white dude i don't know is there any does this matter in the scheme of popular media cops white people black people in the 80s what should more have been said? Could you, is there room for it? Do we want that in our, in our, no, I, I think they make a statement without having to say anything without yeah. having to address it. I think that's a, a strength of it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, just think it feels more like a statement now than it did then. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah. 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 This was more like, we're just not going to talk about it and not because it's awkward. It's just like, we don't, that's not important to, the family, the family life, and the story, and them, and the yeah, story, it's a, and it's a great family. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. they're just a great family. They love each other. Yeah, they're solid. You know, like they're the solid foundation. They're mm-hmm. what Riggs needs to find stability, right? And so, yeah. you know, like it's but it's not about race. It's about just being a, a solid family unit. They, you know, yeah, because that's the ultimate theme here and and especially in this movie that it's the family it's it's and that's where it's all leading which is what we get at the end is you get your sort of happy ending and finally like Riggs and Murtaugh are like on the same page a lot earlier in the movie than you than you think like they really do click pretty quickly yeah um and then it's like 48 hours like it's like yeah well 48 hours there's so much racial stuff that gets I mean directly Oh, I just mean in the movie, it's like 48 hours oh, time yeah. <laughs> that, that like all this stuff is kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like it all seems to happen pretty, pretty quick. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the ending. I think it's the perfect ending for this movie where, yeah. where, you know, you do get your happy ending and, and Murtaugh has helped just by showing him this family life that he's given some stability and something to live for, for Riggs that um you know Riggs can start to fix his own life just by being around these people and yeah and uh i i i think that works really really well um you know this movie obviously was such a big movie and had such an impact after its release like let's say this movie had failed 
would we have even gotten Die Hard? You think Die Hard would have still been made if Lethal Weapon was, let's say, it was a bomb? Well, I don't know. It's a good question. I, just based on the timing of the release, they're over a year. They're like a year and a half apart. So I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. this the success of this probably gave them the the confidence to greenlight Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. There's some more juice behind. Yeah, oh, this works. It, it we pro- it probably would have been pitched and everything in the same way, but this at least, yeah, I think uh, had that had a, a sprawling influence over what came next. Yeah, I mean, it's because there's so much of the Lethal Weapon flavor, and I don't know if that's just Joel Silver or what, but right. there's so many. I mean, because there's actors, you know, Al Lung is in Die Hard, Mary Ellen Trainers in Die Hard. I think there's a couple of other faces that are are always in the Joel Silver movies that pop up there. I mean, it's probably his influence that is the carryover. Um, and Michael Kamen doing. Oh, that's the other thing. Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton with the music. Yeah, love it. You get like the can't sa- deny that. The, you get the saxophone that that really represents Murtaugh. the electric guitar that represents rigs just great great score so definitive for this movie um and and then of course eric clapton uh you know doing a lot of the music as well uh so so good That closing credit song where that's like, and you're a lethal weapon. Yeah, where they actually, or, <laughs> yeah, or something. I'm like, oh god, this song right. sucks. Yeah, James James Bond fail <laughs> fail theme yeah. music. Yeah, and they didn't even get credited for that song, and they still used it over the, you know at the end there. But oh, that's funny. Yeah, a um, couple of a uh, couple of tropes, I guess that uh, that pop up here. We've got. Of course, the Shane Black Christmas, uh, you know, that most of his movies, if not all of them, have all take place at Christmas. I dig that. I love as, it. As I think a, that's just like one of his signatures. It's a signature, yeah. yeah. Director or writer signature, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Although does Monster Squad is the one I, I couldn't remember if that was uh, actually happening at christmas i don't know i, don't I think, think it's so. not but i feel like it's the summer yeah uh but all the rest of his have have whether it's really obvious and christmas is more a bigger part of it or not it's uh that's where it's set yeah. um and then we've got just add this one to the list of mel gibson movies that involve family trauma so <laughs> so many of his movies that his family's in jeopardy. His wife has died. His wife is going to die. Uh, you know, somebody's kidnapped. I mean, it is. If you look at the list of uh, look at his movies, there are so many that are tied to that plot device. Hmm. 
because you get all the Mad Maxes, all the lethal weapons. You get Ransom. You get Braveheart. You get um, whatever. There's there's just like a slew of them. It just well, goes that, and and not to say not to diminish your point, but like that seems like if you if you wanted to pick any actor, a lot you know, not necessarily every Tom Hanks or something, but you know, pick a pick a pick an action star or whatever. You're gonna find that's kind of a thematic. I don't know. Thing, it's right? it it just seems excessive with him. Mm. That if yeah. you look at the percentage of movies, it's just much higher than I think a lot of others. He probably became the guy that like that's like for this story, like we need a Mel Gibson type. So let's yeah, you know, let's get Mel Gibson. Let's get right? Mel Gibson. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're probably yeah. I never really yeah. thought about that before, but that's a that's a good point. I only make good points, David. You've never failed <laughs> in points. Bat in a thousand. Is bat in a thousand after four seasons of the show. Um, so I, you know, we we mentioned it earlier, but there is a couple of people that I think I would have been interested to see, uh, in particular, playing Riggs. So, what would the, what would the movie have been like had Kurt Russell been cast as Riggs? It'd be too fun. It'd be too good. Too funny. You think good. he'd be able to play? Because the, the scenes with Riggs. Hey, they, and the suicide like those are those are really emotional and really intense and and really excellent performances by by gibson you think kurt could have hit that i mean the hair is on point the hair's, hair's a match yeah so a match. Uh, if the hair matches i i you know i i would never want to discount what kurt russell can do so you know it'd be a different it'd be a different take but i don't think it would be unbelievable I don't yeah know. I think I think it would have worked. I think it would have worked as him and, and oh. Bruce Willis almost got uh, Riggs also. So there could have been a world with really? Bruce Willis as, as Riggs and uh, Mel Gibson as Mel- John McClane. Exactly. Yeah. What about Weird Al Yankovic as Riggs? I could see him as Murtaugh. Yeah. Okay. Weird Al as Murtaugh. I can dig that. Um, totally. But the other the other actor that uh, was in contention for rigs for a long time and then eventually did not get it was michael bean now we've talked a lot about michael bean one of my personal favorites and i think that's another you know he's had a really interesting career of almost you know yeah. he he yeah. almost got to that level and this is this is another one that hurt not getting this part uh at the mm-hmm. time i think it seemed like there'll be other roles like this that he's gonna get but looking back at it, like, ooh, you know, missing yeah. out on on Lethal Weapon. Pretty, Definitely pretty could have been a difference maker. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. You know, I think he's he's intense. Like, he's intense in Terminator. I think uh, would have been also different. And we never really got that, like, dynamic of, of Michael Bean being one half of, like, a duo. Hmm. So it would have yeah. been interesting to see if he could have had that chemistry with somebody else, um, you know, another male counterpart. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I don't know. That's another put it in the what if machine. Being as what, what could have been. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, this movie comes out and it's and it's huge and has such a huge influence over the the action genre. And there's. The buddy cop, you know, the buddy cop movie had started with 48 hours and Beverly Hills cop, but really is sort of perfected here. And then there's just so many imitators all the way through to, you know, 
through uh, from Tango and Cash to Bad Boys to Rush Hour. You know, it, it just like it's Stakeout, which is another movie that came out. Stakeout was the Stakeout? same year, I think. Yeah, same yeah. year, right? Yep. Dreyfus and Estevez. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. And it did, and it, it didn't it do better at the box it's, office. Yeah. Then? Well, what we're gonna we're gonna talk about Stakeout it. did better than we Lethal get... Weapon. Yeah, it did. Believe it. I or forgot not. how popular Stakeout was. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought in hindsight that the yeah duo of Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez would have uh, that much power? But yet, in fact, well, why don't we talk about it now? Okay, it's time for box office glory. <laughs> All right. Uh, the The budget for Lethal Weapon was fifteen million dollars, which seems so small for a movie like this. Yeah, it seems it seems so, so quaint. Yeah. Nowadays, this would be fifty, sixty million at least. Oh, at least. Um, it opens uh, on March 6, nineteen eighty seven, at number one. Uh, it opened up against Angel Heart and a movie called Hunk. Which oh yeah. I don't know that movie. Do you, Brent? I do. Oh, yeah. I've seen that movie. What is Hunk? Hunk is a what's it's kind of a ugly duckling uh, type movie. Uh, there's a kind of a nerdy dude who uh, wants to be a hunk. And so he, you know, makes a deal with some devil like character to mm-hmm. become a hunk. And he does. And then throughout the course of the movie uh, finds that being a hunk's not what it's all cracked up to be and decides to go back to being a nerdy dude okay. and gets the girl. All right. The Who's age. the star of that? Oh, you have no idea. I have no idea. I've seen that movie several times though. I saw that movie in the theater. You saw wow. hunk. it? Hunk. Hunk. Yeah. Hunt. Hunt. Not hunk. No, hunk, not hunt. Hunk. Also, yeah. hunk. also saw it in Mexico. And uh, oh. in, in Cozumel, I, I don't know, random, <laughs> random VHS in Cozumel. All right. We, we went and stayed there one time on a family trip and they just happened to have Hunk have on Hunk. VHS. So I was like, all right, we're going to watch Hunk. That's uh, uh, John Allen Nelson. Uh, it was, it was Hunk. John you know. Allen Nelson. Oh, yep. John <laughs> Allen Nelson. Yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> he's great. He's a good dude. Oh, he hasn't um, he hasn't acted in four years. He, he looks like he's retired, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't get much better than Hunk. Time to but... time to change that. He was uh he he starred in such shows as uh NBC's Crisis and 24 Red Dance and Red Band Society. Uh we know that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, and, and crazy ex-girlfriend. Boy, I have, I that. Can... You've got a whole career with him. I've, I've been working with this guy for years. <laughs> and you didn't even know it. <laughs> I, I knew him of all those things. Ah, come on. So Lethal Weapon knocks out uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, uh, Dream Warriors, from the number one spot down to number two. Uh, it did 6.8 million opening weekend, which just feels light. You know, to me, that just seems like not a very big number, but it was number one. It ended up with 65 million domestic, 120 million worldwide. It is only, though, the number nine movie of 87, right between Stakeout and Dirty, but ahead of Dirty Dancing. So you've got, you know, your number nine and number 10 movies 
have such a much more of a lasting impact. Like nobody talks about stakeout. Maybe not enough people are talking about <laughs> You know it. why? Because it stars Richard Dreyfus. Uh, Your favorite. Just the worst. Golly. He's wow. our number one fan, and you just <laughs> rail on him constantly. He just really you know, every time I do it, he's outside in the lobby waiting for us to finish recording. John. Yeah, and we he's got we gotta talk it out. And he always comes around that he's not that good. Um <laughs> But when you uh, when you rank the when you look at the box office for the four Lethal Weapon films, we're gonna do a Richard Dreyfus month. It's I'm gonna sure be I'm the sure greatest. Uh, Lethal Weapon one ranks at the bottom. It is the uh, number four. So. Uh, just obviously, it makes sense. Like this is gonna come out and be a hit, but two is gonna do massive amounts. Three is gonna do really well, and then four because there's such a gap between three and four. Um, you know, all those do really uh, well financially and, you know, not have the critical sort of, I guess two gets, gets uh, people either love or hate two, but critically they loved two mm-hmm. even more, I think, than, than this film, uh, because I think you get, start to get other layers to it that you get a little more comedy, you get, yeah. um, you know, yeah. you get Joe Pesci. So choose, choose a little more accessible and fun. Yeah. And just that's, you know, it's just a different movie with this, with these guys. And, and with, not, not drastically, but and there's a whole monologue that Joe Pesci gives about getting fucked at the drive through. And it yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. And, and that starts his comeback, but, um, and then you get the apartheid element that is very, was very topical. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but uh, I love to, I, I, don't love three as much um and four to me is the weakest of the of the four films but um then came in what 2016 uh, a television series Mm, called lethal weapon david are you familiar with that show at all i heard of it not a big fan of the series it uh i don't think it was well cast specifically in the rigs role and um, yeah, they just the Martag girl. I, I, I at least you know like Damon Wayans. Um, For sure, the other guy, not so much. Not so much. And the I'm, guy no one knows and hasn't yeah. heard from since. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then eventually, spoiler alert: they they end up killing off uh, yeah. Riggs' character because of off-screen antics by the actor playing him. Um, had to be removed from the show and they opted to kill off the character. So you've got a show called lethal weapon, uh, which refers to the Riggs character that no longer has the Riggs character in it. So, uh, is that the, but that show is not even on anymore. No, right? no, they went to the, what three seasons and then yeah, that was enough. I don't know. I saw, uh, I saw the first few episodes of the first season and I was cool with just the, that. The yeah. cool thing was that Damon Wayans and the other guy, uh didn't almost didn't like each other from day one so isn't that fun? right total opposite of the films where you know you had such great chemistry now yeah. you're you're uh trying to swim upstream with the show yeah so i will say i appreciate that in a world where everything that is old is new again and they're remaking things left and right i i'm glad that they decided to make it a tv series instead of rebooting a film franchise mm-hmm. sure uh if only because that gives us the opportunity for lethal weapon 5 to happen and it's probably going to be terrible but i'm still going to check it out 
there will probably be look i don't have any expectations for lethal weapon five that it's going to be terrible there's probably going to be going to check it out three moments in the movie that i think are really good really well done and the rest is just going to be nostalgia based and trying to recap uh, a recap movie almost yeah. like oh and we're gonna do all skulls. these bits again and yeah I, yeah, I, I can't I can't have any investment in any of these things that are continuations or reboots or whatever, but I will like get like I will check them out. Like I hope they're good. Like I hope they're good for a new generation of of moviegoers and fans and whatever. So, you know, a new Ghostbusters, sure. Like I was inve- I was like I wanted to check out the other Ghostbusters from five years ago. Like I enjoyed that. That's fine. Um what this new one sure you know lethal Weapon five yeah indy five indiana jones five sure like i can't you know i can't have an opinion on any of this anymore i've i've we've been doing this too long like it's fine do you know what all the movies i loved and enjoyed they still exist i can go I, back to them exactly like oh, yeah. enjoy they're, they're gonna make them and they're gonna run these franchises into the ground and yeah. you can either watch the movies or don't watch the movies i used to get really upset about it and then it's like you know what who cares for me like lethal weapon is lethal weapon one and two and that's all i need i don't need any of the rest like i like the quadrilogy i I like the lw quadrilogy (laughs) i like that anybody who bought a dvd player in the mid nine or the the later nineties has Lethal Weapon four because it was one of the free DVDs that they were giving. That out. was the very first. Oh. DVD. actually, that was the second DVD I ever owned was Lethal Weapon four. Yeah. Oh, do they just give them out in mass just to make sure people are buying DVD? Yeah, players? that was yeah. like what it was like that and um, like I don't know, I forget what the other mo- Spider Man two. Who knows Spider Man? Like yeah, that was a little later, but yeah, this, they were like uh, pump pumping it out. Yeah, giving, well, giving I forget it to what everybody. the other ones was, but Sphere? that is correct. Yep. Wasn't Sphere? like Sphere was, it was one of Warner, them? It was Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers was the first studio to really jump on the DVD train. So Yeah, uh, The oh. Fugitive. Oh, yeah, The Fugitive. That would explain why The Matrix is the first DVD to outsell the VHS counterpart. Because they probably pushed, they were pushing, Warner Brothers yeah. was pushing all their movies so hard. Yeah, it was. And The yeah. Matrix looked cool as hell. And would look great on DVD compared to VHS. Everything that's really working in Lethal Weapon, all of it is under the guiding hand of Richard Donner. Just to kind of circle back to to him and why we're here, and and you know he really shaped that movie to what it what it was. That he was like the creative vision that made all that a reality and and set that formula for all those action movies that are that are going to follow it whether it's cop movies or action in general um you know obviously an influence on die hard and and all of it goes back to him and and he would have a very successful run through the 90s um and then i think he started to kind of slow down the directing uh in the early 2000s and shift strictly to producing uh but always toying with the idea of coming back to lead the weapon coming back to the goonies um, and unfortunately it never happened, but, uh, I, I'm sure we're going to see some, somebody's going to put those out. Like we talked about with lethal weapon, especially. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, I think it's important for people, young filmmakers to acknowledge Richard Donner and how many big movies he really did. And, and 
how good he was at setting a structure, whether it was Superman, the Omen or or Lethal Weapon, that he knew how to build a, a formula that could be used and repeated down the road. So um, a really important filmmaker, sort of underrated. Like, I don't I don't think they talk about Richard Donner in film schools, but I think they're I think you should. I mean, what, what his influence was, was really important to at least American filmmaking. Well, you know, he, he's such a main, you know, he's attached to so many mainstream popular things, but like they're, they're so more or less just so well executed, like text, like textbook, textbook, but with his signature, you know, mm-hmm. like, right. he just, he knows how to tell, he's a storyteller, you know, yeah. and, and, and gets it. He's not just making a movie. He's telling you that he's, he's, he's one of the greats, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, I would have, I would hope that he's getting more attention in the film schools, but yeah, no, uh, Richard Donner, uh, man, we were, we were lucky to have. Yep. We were. And, uh, and we'll, we'll always have his, his movies on whatever home video or, or streaming. So it, it's still out there. So we'll, we'll have to do Donner days, you know, Donner just, days. Yeah. You know, we got just... plenty more. I mean, we just did, uh, this, this was really the first Donner film that we, we did. There's so many more that we're going to so get many. to. So, uh, looking forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to the rest of our Christmas lineup as we charge through December. We've got some some off the wall, you know, one at least one off the wall choice that I'm excited to uh, really excited to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. And then and then I will say a Christmas classic coming up. There so, you go. Uh, and- so lots of fun coming. And David, you know, you just started with the decorations on the lot. It's uh, as December we move through it, it's just going to get more and more and more. Wait till I get the uh, animatronic spider claws to zip around the lot. <laughs> You're gonna love it. I, oh I still haven't. I haven't been able to uh, book Tom Holland to do the voice, but uh, someone's Schedules. gonna do it. Schedules. It'll happen. It's Tom Holland, or, or I'll, I'll get Chris Pratt to do the voice of Perfect Spider-Man. Yeah, he doesn't do anything else. Um, <laughs> oh wait, he's busy with Mario right now. It's Mario oh. and Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh guys so stay tuned uh, we got a lot of we got a fun month coming up and and thank you uh for checking us out on our social medias we're at reconsidimation podcast on instagram facebook twitter uh you can always hit us up there check out our archives at reconsidimation.com and thank you to our friends uh who we we uh interact with uh are scored to death uh with jay blake fashera check that out of course check out E.K. Wimmer, who does our, our theme song and his podcast, Laser Graves, and some other friends like Buzz in the Tower, who we, we chat with uh, on, on Twitter. And thank you to our good friend Curtis for the poster as usual. Now, Curtis, I will say, sometimes has a very Riggs-like wardrobe. So maybe there's, uh, <laughs> there's a, maybe they're related. Oh, maybe that's that's the big that's the big theory right He's now. He's got the jeans and the boots, so is he a Riggs? There you go. He's Riggs. He's Riggs. He's double. very Riggsy. He Riggsy. He's Riggsy. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, thank you, guys. Happy holidays coming up. Happy Hanukkah for those celebrating right now, and we will see you next time on Reconsidimation. Take care. Ho ho ho.
Hi, I'm Danny Glover. Uh, and I'm Mel Gibson. Well, that's not important right now, but I want you to go and see my new hit movie, Leaf Weapon. I love this job and everybody wait, 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 wait. in it. It's know, my hit movie. Oh, well, he's in it. Oh, oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. He has danger, yeah. excitement. Yeah, bad guys. Uh, and good guys, good yeah. guys. Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Lethal Weapon, Let it on. Now playing at a theater near you.